Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. One of the main uh, influences in my life as I've thought about discipleship comes from this guy named Gene Moore. I'm not throwing that up there quite yet, but uh, he gives a, a sermon series on making disciples, and he starts out by talking about Murphy's Law. Do you know Murphy's Law? Everything that possibly can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible moment, and that's why we are here where we are using a handheld mic. So anyway, thank you all for inviting me here to speak and to share a little bit of my heart for discipleship. Uh, Like Craig said, I grew up in Iowa. It means I actually even went to Iowa State University. Uh, and that's actually where I first met the Navigators. So my freshman year, I'm moving into the dorms. I'm thinking, I want to get involved in some sort of college ministry. Uh, and so I have this grand scheme. I'm going to send emails to all the college ministries and get someone from them to talk to me about what they're all about and just really find which one fits for me. So uh, out of probably like, you know, 10 to 12 ministries at Iowa State, I sent two emails uh, one was to the Navigators, the other one was to the E-Free Church in, uh, in Ames that I was going to at the time. <clears throat> and the Navigators responded within an hour. It was very fast. Uh, and they said, yes, we would love to meet you. When do you move on campus? Uh, what's your phone number? We'll send someone to meet you when you get there. So I arrive on campus, and within hours I get a call from this guy named Joe Rob. He's on Navigator staff. Uh, and he comes to my room and starts sharing his testimony with me, just sharing about his life, about how he came to know Jesus, about some of the struggles that he's faced in life. And from what he was sharing, I instantly recognized a couple of things. Uh, one was that uh, he had something I didn't and that I wanted. He had this confidence to be able to share with me his faith in a way that was deeper than I ever thought I could share with someone else, not much less my non-believing roommate. So he had confidence to be able to share that in front of my non-believing roommate, even. Uh, and he was sharing uh, just so naturally. It made sense, the things that he was talking about. Like, I, I knew, I want to get around this guy. I want to learn from him. I want to figure out what it is he's talking about. And so uh, I started going to nav nights and to Bible study with him. As I went to those things, the navi- they're the navigators, so they start talking about discipleship. Uh, and they start talking about meeting one-on-one with people. So the next natural thing in my mind is, well, Joe Rob, could you start meeting with me? So I asked him, and he said, absolutely. So for the next two years, we met every week to talk about my quiet time, to talk about how to pray together. Uh, he, he really helped form how I have my quiet time. Uh, He helped me form how it is that I pray for something deeper, something that is like on God's heart and listening to God at the same time as I'm praying for things to happen. Uh, He taught me how to uh, have fellowship in a deeper way with people who are around me and not just the ones who are close, but even those who I don't know that well. Uh, And then he also taught me how to share my faith in ways that are natural and just an outflow of who I am as a person. So through those couple of years, uh, I started to develop this uh, definition for the word discipleship. I wanted to be able to give you a ah, dictionary definition, but if you go into a dictionary to look for the word discipleship, you won't find it there. It doesn't exist in the English language, amazingly. Uh, But 
uh, it has actually come come about in the last 70 years or so. Uh, And it has come, there's a lot of different ways that we have used that word today. We've used it to talk about my my life is I follow Jesus, my discipleship of Jesus, I guess. Uh, but I've, I've come to understand it in a slightly different way, and you can use whatever def- definition you want to, but I'm going to use this one for this morning. I think of discipleship as the process of intentionally helping another person become a disciple of Jesus. So this is something that is not just, I kind of go randomly through my life. There's intentionality that's involved in this. Uh, We're talking about making disciples of Jesus, not making disciples of myself. Uh, If I had a bunch of disciples of Jeremiah running around, I'd be scared because all of my defects get reproduced into them. That would be just a handful. (laughs) No one could handle that. Um, So this definition of discipleship is what I started to have, and as a result, I wanted to uh, look a little bit more deeply into it. So about my junior year, I start thinking about how can I help others. So I start listening to sermons, specifically this sermon series by Gene Warren that I talked about called Making Disciples was what helped to solidify this definition, and it helped me to form all of my convictions on discipleship. If you start to question me about discipleship, a lot of Gene stuff is going to come out as you squeeze me, if I'm a sponge. Sorry, that was a really weird... That was a weird metaphor. Uh, anyway, Gene Moore starts off his uh, sermon series by talking about his philosophy of life and ministry. Because in order to take someone with me, I probably need to know where I'm going. So that, in order to know where I'm going, I probably need some guiding principles of my life that will help me go in a certain direction. So this is Gene's. Uh, he actually stole this from a newsletter from the Baptist Student Union. Now I've stolen it from him. Uh, he actually says in the beginning also, uh, I haven't had an original thought in my life. Everything I have was stolen from someone. But when you steal from one person, it's called plagiarism. When you steal from many people, it's called doing your research. So I've done my research, and I'm stealing this from Gene and from the Baptist Student Union. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, so His philosophy of life and ministry is to know, love, and glorify God, to be used of him to raise up qualified laborers in significant numbers as fast as possible to help fulfill the Great Commission. I really think that the beginning of this is the first essence of discipleship. Up there at the top it says to know, love, and glorify God. That's the first place that we start in thinking about discipleship because it has to come from my life. It has to be something that I am doing, that I am thinking about knowing, loving, and glorifying God, and all of my actions come from that. But for me, when I first saw this or thought about it, uh, it seemed pretty scary. I thought, how, how could I possibly live in this way? This is really intentional. This is this is something that governs every thought of your life. How could I possibly have that happen in my life? And actually, I think that's a great place to start. Because I don't think this has fully come into my life. I, I try to live this way as much as I can. But <clears throat> it's a good place to start, to be a little scared. How could I possibly make this happen? And I think our feelings, feelings are very similar to those of Remy in Ratatouille. Uh, So we're going to watch this little clip here for a second. I have some thoughts on it. 
Who is that? Oh, him? He's nobody. Not nobody. He is part of the kitchen. He's a plongeur or something. He washes dishes or takes out the garbage. He doesn't cook. But he could. Uh, <laughs> no. How do you know? What do I always say? Anyone can cook. Well, yeah, anyone can. That doesn't mean that anyone should. Well, that is not stopping him. See? What, what is he doing? No. No! No, this is terrible! He's ruining the soup! And nobody's noticing it! It's your restaurant! Do something! What can I do? I am a figment of your imagination. But he's ruining the soup! Who is that? Anyone can cook. Well, yeah, but just because anyone can sh- cook doesn't mean that anyone should. I think that Remy's thought on this is a lie. It's a lie that a lot of us believe. We think, yeah, anyone can do that discipleship thing. It doesn't mean anyone should. Especially, maybe not me, because, man, what if I mess it up? What if I'm like the plongeur? I knock the, the soup off the stove. I start trying to pick that up, throw anything I can in there. I'm ruining the soup. How dare I? Uh... I think, though, that anyone can cook, like Gusto said, but it's hard. Anyone can help make a disciple of Jesus, but it's hard. But before we go any deeper, let's pray. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for Jesus' sake. Lord, I pray that anything that I say this morning would be coming from your word and from you. Uh, and that it would be used for the encouragement and the building up of this body of believers. Lord, I pray that your word would inspire us to action and to freedom in the gospel, because you give us true freedom there. Uh, Yeah, Lord, I pray that as we go through this morning, you would be with us, uh, and that we would be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so anyone can cook, but it's hard. Another way to talk about that is anyone can help fulfill the Great Commission. But again, it's hard work. Because as, uh, as I look at that philosophy of life in ministry, the, the, the last part of it is what we're talking about. We're looking at raising up qualified laborers, significant numbers, fast as possible, to help fulfill the Great Commission. Well, in order to help fulfill the Great Commission, we should probably read it. We should probably know what it says. So would you open up in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew 28? If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, I just personally like looking at my own as I'm reading it with someone. And so a little bit of background with Matthew 28. This is the end of Matthew's gospel. This is the last thing that Matthew considers to be an important a command or important word from Jesus to give to us. Uh, if you would think about it as like a last will and testament, uh, except Jesus ascended to heaven after this. And we know he said a few other things. But for Matthew, this is the most important. So as we're reading this, these are the last things that Matthew wants his readers to know about that Jesus has told people. So let's just go ahead and read this, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee— to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
See, from this I see that any disciple of Jesus can make disciples of Jesus. Anyone can cook. We see all authority here. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We're talking about these 11 disciples uh, who, again, we'll think about them a little bit later on. Uh, But first, I want to look at what the commission is itself. Uh, Commission is a statement of this is where we're going. I want you to go this direction. It's like a charge. It's like a final, you can do this thing. Go out, do it. So I want to look again there at the main uh, meat of this commission. It's in verses 19 and 20. And there are a few commands here. Uh, So those are the things I want to highlight this morning or right now. Uh, So as we read this again, I just, or I'm going to read it, and I want you all to say any of the command verbs that come up. So I'll just give you an example of that. Uh, Verse 19 starts with, therefore, go. Uh, When we read that in English, we say, oh, that's a, I'm supposed to be moving somewhere. I'm not supposed to stay here. Uh, So Uh, As we read that, I just want you to say those out loud. I'll give you a few cues to make sure that it happens, but uh, let's just read this again. So verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So as we read this, we see four commands that are given here. We see go, we see make disciples, we see baptize, and we see teach. But I'm sorry, I actually kind of tricked you a little bit. In Greek, this is not quite the way that it is. So there's this great thing in Greek called ending. So when you end a verb, you can say this is a command by your ending, or this is kind of implied, this is already happening, so just let it continue to happen. Uh, so I'm going to read this again. One more time, and I'm going to change out those, those ones that we see as commands, but quite, aren't quite commands from Jesus. So Jesus says, therefore, as you're going, make disciples of all nations, as you are baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and as you are teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, Jesus, when he is saying this, he is thinking, this is something you're already going to be doing. So with therefore go, that one's pretty easy. Like, I assume that as you're, that, you know, you're listening to me right now. You're, we're on a mountain. Uh, I assume you're not going to stay here, be a hermit, and die here on the top of this mountain. That wouldn't really help with the next command. Uh, <clears throat> and then as you're going, I, I expect that you're probably going to be baptizing people because that's something you've been doing for the last three years. Uh, And as you're going, I really expect that you're going to be teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, because that would be the natural thing that's going from your life right now. That's just a a part of who you are now. And so really, the only command that Jesus gives here is make disciples. Now, how do we understand that? So if we have this teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, Jesus assumes that they're going to be obeying that by making disciples, by obeying this last command that Jesus gave right here of make disciples. And so if I'm going to think about this with three names that I'll randomly say, Billy, Joe, and Bob, uh, what happens here is I meet with Billy. I teach Billy how to have a quiet time. I help him to learn how to pray well. Uh, I help him with 
all these commands of Jesus. But then as I'm teaching him, the last command Jesus gave me was make disciples. So I need to help Billy then know how to make a disciple of Joe. That's the right name, right? Yeah, Joe. Uh, So I'm helping Billy now help Joe so that Joe can then have a quiet time, know who God is, pray. uh, And then Joe then has to be able to make a disciple. So then if I'm meeting with Billy, my thought here is, as I meet with Billy, I'm thinking not about Joe, but I'm thinking about Bob, who Joe is going to meet with and teach how to be a disciple of Jesus. Because if it's anything less than that, it's not a compelling enough vision to capture my heart and keep me going for a lifetime. So when I look into Billy's eyes, I must see Bob. And if I see Bob, then I am thinking about everything I impact with Billy because then what Billy learns from me is going to get down to Bob. But again, so like looking at my own life in this, uh, I've maybe helped a Billy. Uh, I've, I've maybe helped a Billy help a Joe, but not that well because the guy was further away than I could do. But that's, that's not really the point. The point is trying to obey this command. We, we are thinking longer term than just the person who's right in front of me. I'm thinking about three or four generations down the road, and that's compelling. That's amazing. We see that Paul talked about this or thought this way in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He says, And the things you have learned from me and heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. In that we see four generations. You, and the things you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. Paul's thinking, I don't know these guys' names. I didn't even know the next guy's names after Timothy, but I'm thinking all the way down the road to further than myself, further than Timothy, further than these others. But in order to start here, I've been talking about helping Billy with a quiet time and prayer and all these things, uh, but we probably ought to know what a disciple is. If we're going to make a disciple, we should know what a disciple is. Uh, So a disciple is really just an apprentice, a person who comes under the study of someone else. Uh, That's why I kind of like this uh, analogy of cooking. So for someone to uh, learn how to be a good cook, there's the old maxim of you need to spend 10,000 hours at a skill in order to master it. Uh, We want to become ourselves master disciples, not as in we are the master of disciples, but we, we are mastering this practice of being a disciple, coming underneath of Jesus and listening to his commands, the things that he's given us to do, uh, and living out of that. It's very similar. Uh, Gene, Gene Moore, again, just such a great guy. Uh, I think he's a big Texan man. Uh, at least that's the way I hear him in my mind. I've, I've learned this morning already that he's actually from Oklahoma. But just imagine the Texan accent with me. He says, you can't give somebody something you haven't got any more than you can come back from someplace you haven't been. Yeah, <laughs> I can't give somebody something I don't have any more than I can come back from someplace I've never been to. I can't come back from, uh, say, Italy. I've never been there. Uh, I can't come back from California. I've never been there. <laughs> But, and so in the same way, I can't help, I can't give someone, this is how you are a disciple, unless I am a disciple. So, in order to be a disciple, we should probably look at a few more of these things that Jesus commanded. So, uh, 
keep, keep yourself in Matthew 28. I'm just going to put this up on the screen, but uh, the first command that Jesus, or the first and greatest command that Jesus gives is found in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. He's in the temple, uh, and he is teaching crowds there, and you've got these Sadducees, Pharisees coming to him, asking him questions, trying to stump him. It's like stump the pastor day. Uh, and he says, or one of the Pharisees thinks, I've got, I've got a great question for him. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I'm just going to pause right there for a second. See, you cannot love others before you love God. You can't love them the same way, same way that God loves us. And so, Loving God must be the first thing that we teach ourselves and that we teach others as we follow Jesus. There are great ways to do that. You know, I think one great way is by having a quiet time. By in the morning, you just get up and you, you spend time with Jesus and you learn from him. I won't talk about that anymore. But then the next command that he gives, starting in verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Wow, that's something. The entire law, if we were to hold this book up, everything here is summed up in two commands. Love God, love others. That's it. It's not much more complicated than that. If we think about how to love someone else, we're thinking about how do I do what is going to be the best for them in every situation. And I really think that anyone who loves God can teach this thing. I think that anyone who loves God can teach, love God, and then love others. Like I said, anyone can cook. The second command that has really shaped my thoughts on discipleship comes in Matthew 9, verses 36 to 39. Uh, So there in Matthew 9, Jesus is going around to all these towns and villages, teaching in synagogues, healing diseases, casting out demons, doing his Jesus thing as he goes along in the countryside. And he comes up on this mountain, and when he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the first thing, he goes up on this mountain and he makes an observation. The sheep are harassed and helpless. They don't have anyone who's guiding them. They don't have anyone who's helping them. So being a great teacher, Jesus uses this moment to make an observation to his disciples and then give them a command. So verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a great picture I came across in uh, Indonesia, actually, uh, that I think really well illustrates what this kind of looks like. You've got the field of wheat ripe for harvest. It's ready to go. It's ready to be brought into the barn. It's going to rot there if you don't get out there and do it. But then Jesus also says the workers are few. So you can see there's like maybe one worker in this picture. He's up to the left of the guy in the blue shorts. Uh, but you've got a lot of people sitting around. And then you've got these two people saying, hey, we should probably go out there and make sure the wheat comes in. Uh, you got one person sleeping. you got a couple of kids. <clears throat> and so my natural thought with this picture is Jesus is going to say, okay, now get out there and make disciples. Go do it because there's no one there. Jesus, what a master teacher, though, says something completely different. Oh, sorry. I forgot one thing here. Uh, 
<clears throat> the main point of this is the problem isn't with the harvest. The problem is with there are too few workers. I think that's true even here in Colombia. I think that as we look out at Colombia, we see maybe, oh man, this person probably isn't interested in hearing the gospel. They're probably not interested in the freedom and the life and the love that Jesus gives us. I don't think that's true. I think that every single person, I think that the fields are white for harvest. I think that they are ready to hear this gospel. They just don't know that they're ready to hear this gospel yet. They might say a bunch of things that seem to indicate there's no way I would accept that. They just haven't heard it yet. They don't know what it is to be loved by Jesus. But again, the workers are too few. There's not enough of them. There's not enough out in the harvest. So like I was starting to say, Jesus being a master teacher here uh, makes a different command happen. So in Matthew 9, 38, he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers or workers into his harvest field. See, we don't... So, in, in order to understand this a little bit deeper, what's a worker? You need to know what a worker is. It's not very complicated. It's just a common, ordinary field hand. These people probably don't have even an elementary school education. They go out there, and all they have to do is have a scythe and just go, shh, shh, pick it up, throw it in a barn. That's all that's required. Not much, not much education required there. So he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's faithful. He will get it done. And so there's this principle that we do not have to have great skills to pray or labor. We just need to have a great God. We just need to have a faithful Lord of the harvest who is going to send out his workers to bring in more. Anyone can cook. Workers can cook. They can do it. So how in the world is living like this a possibility? We need to have something that is uh, a little bit deeper in driving this. So let's go back to Matthew 28. Uh, We're looking at now verses 18 and 20. So Jesus starts this commission by telling his disciples something amazing. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, I have all of this authority. I am able to accomplish this. If I tell a rock to sing, it will outsing all of us in the room. It'll beat the, the stereos, the microphones, everything. A rock will do a better job because I told it to sing. When Jesus says someone... It says to someone, I want you to be a disciple. That person will become a disciple because he is in control. He is sovereign over that because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Even demons quake at his name. And he ends this commission, these commands, by telling them, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this authority that, that Jesus has isn't far away. It's not up in heaven, inaccessible to us. It is right next to us. It is with us. I think that uh, another clip from uh, Ratatouille is going to help me make this point a little bit clearer. So can we can we roll that second one? Rustic, this is about your cooking. Hey! 
Hey, that's Gusto. I mean, look. Great cooking is not for the faint of heart. You must be imaginative, strong-hearted. You must try things that may not work, and you must not let anyone define your limits because of where you come from. Your only limit is your soul. What I say is true. Anyone can cook, but only the fearless can be great. Only the fearless can be great. <clears throat> Doesn't Jesus telling us that he's with us give us the opportunity to live fearlessly? Another thing in there was the only limit is your soul. See, your soul has been redeemed. Why can I say that? Well, it's because of who Jesus is telling this to. Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples. What do we know about them? Uh, so in Matthew, we, we learn about a few of them. We learn about these guys, John and James. Their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. Uh, when they are, and, and it's really appropriate too, when they go to this town to tell them about Jesus and about the kingdom of God coming, uh, they come back to Jesus. They haven't accepted it, so they say to Jesus, hey, should we call down fire on this town so we can destroy it? Jesus is like, no, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. Uh, or uh, later on, they come to Jesus and say, hey, could one of us sit at your right hand and one at your left, because I really think that we're worthy of that. You know, these are guys that are in their teens or maybe young 20s, and they're thinking, yeah, I'm definitely worthy of being up there. Uh, but when it comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is taken away to trial and crucified, they ran away. Or Peter. What about Peter? He's probably the best of them, right? Uh, he's the one who says, yeah, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He also says, uh, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? He seems to really be tracking with this. He's getting it. He's going. <clears throat> but then when Jesus is taken away to the trial, he, again, Peter's the best of them all. He goes with. He gets there, and he's in the courtyard, and someone comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Oh, no, that's not me. I'm not with him. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you with him. No, 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 that's not me. Oh, come on, I know that you were with him. No, no, I don't even know the guy. And then he runs away too. See, Jesus is telling these things, these commands, he's giving this last thing to people who just two chapters earlier, two or three chapters earlier, failed him. They ran away. They proved that they couldn't be loyal to the end right there. And Jesus, in this command, is telling them something amazing. He's telling them that I came to die for you. You were afraid. I give you power. You were ashamed and you have shame, but I have adopted you. By my blood, I've adopted you into my family. You have guilt because of the wrong you've done, but I have cleansed that from you entirely. You are mine and I have you. See, while you were still my enemy, I died for you and in order to prove that I died for you, I rose from the dead so that you could have life with me. Jesus died for us and he died for you so that his word and his love for all nations and his justice could go out through all the earth. See, each of us in this room are actually the product of Jesus accomplishing this through his disciples. He made a good choice. He gave them power. He changed their soul so that they could be fearless. He accomplishes this task through weak people. These people were weak. 
we're weak, I'm weak. There's no way I would qualify as an extra qualified laborer. Let me go out there and do it. I'm common, ordinary field hand. But we can do this through his power because he's given it to us. Think about it. You all are the result of one of these disciples telling someone else about Jesus, helping them walk with him, and then that person going and doing it to the next, and then that person to the next, and that person to the next, and that person to the next. It would take me probably an hour to get the right amount of nexts in there because it's been 2,000 years, and we all are still sitting in a room talking about worshiping Jesus as God. Scott actually gave me a great outro, a perfect outro, in fact, uh, with what he said last week. He was talking about this promise that God gave to Abraham, namely that Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing. Jesus has given you all a blessing, and he has blessed you in order to bless others, and he's done that for me as well. That's the only reason I can do anything that I do, and through Jesus, we can be that blessing. God will use us to bless others because if his power is in us, anyone can cook. Would you pray to me? Pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the power that you have, uh, for the grace that you give us, for the forgiveness that you've offered us with your life and death on the cross. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, we would uh, just think of the power that you have given us that this is a natural thing that flows out of our lives, that uh, we love you, and because we love you, we can love others. God, I pray that the vision of discipleship, of helping others, would catch fire in people's souls, and that we would be a team going forward to accomplish this commission. We love you, Lord Jesus. Please send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks, Jeremiah. Can we thank Jeremiah together for for teaching us on this? All right, so we're now joined. This is Jeremiah's wife, Jenny. Jenny is from Kansas, you know, but she's very nice. They're very nice. So they're here together on mission, and I have some questions, okay? okay? So I love what you said. It was so helpful about you don't have to have great skill to be a laborer or to pray. We just need a great God. I love that. I think as we think about some of the challenges of discipleship in a post-Christian context, it can be very just paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what do I do? How do I start? Can you maybe give us some practical, okay, how do we, how do we live out this truth? Where do we go from here? Where, how do you guys do this in your context? Yeah, for, for me, I really, the, the first thing that I think of is actually in the law. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. And God had this idea of natural life and spiritual life really figured out when he was writing the law. Obviously, he is God. So uh, when, he's, when uh, Moses writes down Deuteronomy, uh, he says, Talk about these things as you get up, as you go to bed, as you walk along the road, as you're sitting at the meal. Basically, the, the principle is make your natural life spiritual and your spiritual life natural. Because... These things will flow out, like the, the being able to love others, starting to disciple others is going to flow out of, this is your natural life, and this is what I normally do with people. So that's my first thought. Yeah, and um, I always think of there's two things that I want to leave every woman with that I meet with, and one of them is 
knowing how to read the Bible for themselves, how to spend time with Jesus, and the other one is how to memorize the Bible, how to memorize his word. Um, Because those are things they can take with them wherever they go. And I know um, I'm not a mom, but I know that moms feel like they have zero time to to do one more thing. And or another thing that I hear from a lot of people is that um, why would someone want to spend time with me? And those are just lies. And so um, moms, many moms have met with me over the years. And, you know, when we did it, we did it um, 9 p.m. grocery shopping together. Yes, after the kids are in bed. Um, We do it during nap time or during dinner prep or during house cleaning. All of these things, just normal day-to-day activities that I got to sit or help with while we talked about how to spend time in the Word and memorizing Scripture. So I think, so what I'm hearing from both of you is this is ordinary. There's, you're not waiting for this magical moment. This is just, hey, I'm going shopping. I'm going to bring someone with me, or I'm going to create these rhythms in my day mm-hmm. to help me do that. It's really helpful. Thank you. So you guys are, you're in the prime of your lives, okay? So why have you chosen right now to say, hey, we could be doing a lot of things, but right now we really want to be making disciples, living out this truth, specifically, too, at the university, at the University of Missouri. What, what kind of, what, what's fueling that for you two? Yeah, we believe that college students are um, key for the advancement of the gospel. Um, for one, they are the future of this world. They're going to be future leaders, doctors, lawyers, dentists, all kinds of things. And... Um, So students come from all over to the university, and they're already coming to learn something. And there's a lot of voices that want to teach them. But we know that we have the truth, and so we want to be one of those voices that um, to offer the truth and, and life to them. And then while they come from all over to learn, they also will leave and go all over. And so we can give them something to take with them to spread the gospel everywhere they go. I don't have much to add to that. Mm, That's awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, um, if you have any questions either about the Jannies or what God is doing through them at the University of Missouri, I know they would love to meet you. They'd love to talk with you about this. Um, But this is what we want to be about as a church, not just making disciples, the person in front of us, but thinking ahead. Hey, how can I equip this person to walk with others? And so super helpful. Thank you for helping us walk through that. Uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for the Jannies, and we're going to continue our worship. So let's turn to our God right now and ask for help to apply this. Father, thank you for the truth that Jeremiah brought to us this morning, that you are unstoppable. doesn't depend on our ability, our strength, our winsomeness, but it's because we have a great God who is with us in the midst of this. God, thank you for calling Jeremiah and Jenny here, uh, not just to the University of Missouri and uh, to reach those students, but also to Compass Church and to be a part of this body. God, I pray that we as a body of believers would learn from them and partner with them and uh, seek to reach the city to which you've called us. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.